welcome everybody to church again this morning. Those of you who are here, if you're visiting with us, we just want to say welcome. Uh, those who are watching online, we know there are some of you uh, out on Christmas vacation already. And so how about it, church? Can we welcome each other to church today? Awesome. Awesome. Go ahead and grab out your Bible and your notes. We believe in taking notes here at Victory. You're going to get sick of me saying it before I'm ever sick of saying it, that we believe in writing some things down. You can click on the message uh, in the church app if you'd like a fill in the blank version of the notes. If you're like me, you like fill in the blank. And as you do that, I want to remind everybody that next Sunday is our Christmas service. Come on, somebody. It snuck up on us this year. I don't know. Thanksgiving, I think, kind of just jammed us all up. But Christmas is here, all right? And so if you haven't done your Christmas shopping, you have a problem. <laughs> I just, I don't know. You're, you're in trouble, everybody. But next Sunday will be our Christmas service. It's always a beautiful time. We, we sing together. We light candles. We don't burn the building down. It's just a beautiful, beautiful Sunday morning. So that's going to be an awesome time. It will be family Sunday, so we'll be all together, uh, just having that moment with our families and things. And then Christmas is the following week. uh, And so we'll be praying over that. Just an awesome, awesome time. But we're in part two of our Christmas series. Uh, We've just been looking at different things that we need to begin to do again. Uh, We call this series again because I think there were some things during the year that we lost sight of uh, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle uh, of the pandemic, in the middle of all these things that we've had to kind of run and do and keep up with. And all the things that happened to us, I think we lost sight of some really important things that we needed to be doing. Uh, And so here at the end, we're just kind of getting that right. We're beginning to do some things again. And so last week we looked at how we need to begin to love again. Uh, how we need to see the people in our world not as a problem to avoid or a victim to exploit. We need to see them as people to love. That God has called us to see them with the right eyes and to see those things. And so in this Christmas season, we're going to learn to love again. And you can watch that online or in the app if you missed part one. But today I want to talk about the vision that God has for our lives. Because I believe that God still has a vision for us, that even in the midst of the darkness and the things that we've walked through, God still has something for us. And so we need to begin to see again. That we begin to love again, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But we need to begin to see again the things that God has for us, that he has a plan for us. That he has a vision for our lives. And sometimes in the midst of trial and adversity, it's so easy to lose sight of that. It's so easy to lose sight of the things that he has for us. And we tend to lose vision. In the book of Habakkuk, we studied that a few months ago. God told Habakkuk to write the vision plainly on tablets, not only that the people could understand, but that they would remember. To write it clearly on tablets. Now, in modern day, what I would tell you is in your devotion and in your time with God, begin to write some things down. Get out your notes and write some things. As God gives you the vision, as God begins to speak into your life, write those things down that you can reference them later. That in the dark times, in the trials, in the adversity, you can look back and know what God has spoken over your life. That there's promises in his word for you that you can write those things down and that they can be a comfort and an encouragement as you walk through a trial. That they can be those things to you to go back and to remember. So we have to come to a place where we recapture the vision that we can see again. Ezekiel 37, this is going to be our text for today. It's a little portion of scripture where Ezekiel is having a vision from the Lord. And the nation of Israel is in captivity in Babylon. And so they've been carried there. So the nation of Israel has been spoken to by the Lord. And he says, while I brought you to the promised land, if you follow me, if you stay true to me, then things will be cool, right? You'll be protected. You'll be be blessed. You'll be in the promised land. But if you don't, if you follow after other gods, if you run from me, then you'll be removed from the promised land. And that's what happened. The children of Israel continued to test the Lord. 
continue to push against the boundaries, continue to run after other gods. And so God removed them from the promised land. The Babylonians come uh, and they capture them and take them all back to Babylon. And so Ezekiel is a contemporary of Daniel, if you want to place that kind of in the timeline in your mind. And we'll pick it up in Ezekiel 37, verse 1. And he says, The Lord took hold of me, and I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley filled with bones. And he led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. And they were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. And then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? Oh, sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And there are several things in this passage that I think are relevant or that I think we can relate to in our culture today. And you may find yourself somewhere along the journey. There are different spots that I think all of us find ourselves at one of these spots at some point in our journey and in our spiritual walk with the Lord. And the first one, it starts with, if you're taking notes, jot it down. It starts with being scattered. It starts with being scattered. The first thing we notice about the bones and the vision that Ezekiel has is that they're scattered all across the valley floor. And I think we live in a culture today that's attempting to pull us in every different direction. Now, we are on week three of this idea, if you've been keeping track. Because I believe strongly this is a message for this season that we're in. That the world will try to pull us in every different direction if we allow it. That we will be pulled by different magnets all over. That we will be scattered. That our culture is trying to get us to live scattered, frantic lives. That everything is produced, everything is created to try to stretch us and to make us live as scattered as possible. In as many places. Because it tells us that you can and should have it all. That you deserve to have it all. And so you've got to run from sunup to sundown. You've got to go from waking up to when you close your eyes. You've got to go at this frantic, frenetic pace. Because you should deserve everything. That you need to be in every place. And you've got to accomplish all of it. And then, of course, once you do, you take a picture and put it on Instagram. Because if it's not on Instagram, it didn't happen, right? You all know what I'm talking about. right? You've got to make sure everything is perfect. Everybody's smiling. And then we're going to post that. But the world is telling you, you need to go in every different direction. And if we're not careful, we start getting our lives pulled by every magnet that there is. And here's a principle I've learned. We learned it during week four of At The Movies. And that is, if you don't prioritize your life, somebody else will. If you don't prioritize what's important, somebody else will. And so your school will, your work will, right? The travel sports team will. Everybody has a plan for your life and tells you what's important and what you should prioritize. But the truth of it is only you can decide If you're going to follow and prioritize what the Lord is calling you to do with your life. Because everybody else has a plan for you. They've got a great plan for you. I've got a plan for you. I've got lots of stuff that you can do. But you have to decide, what is the Lord leading me to? Am I going to prioritize that? Am I prioritizing what God has for me to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? And even as believers, that can be hard to do. Because we get into this place where we're scattered. And we find our lives spread thinner and thinner There's not enough of us to go around. We find ourselves stretched more and more until we prioritize the wrong things. Or the danger is we prioritize nothing. And nothing becomes important in our life. We're just trying to do everything. We're pulled in too many directions. Here's a couple of signs. You can jot them down if your life is a little bit out of control. I thought these were funny, so I jotted them down this week. You know your life is getting a little bit too busy. If your family goes on vacation without you and you are happy. Come on, somebody. (laughs) 
you might be a little bit, right, like I'm good for them, I'm going to get a little break from them, get some work done, right? If this is your mentality, you might be a little bit, you've got a problem, all right, everybody? And I, I can relate to that. Number two, you're not able, you don't have time to finish the book that you are reading on stress. You just don't have time. You don't have time to finish the book. You might have a problem. All right, number three, you tell your kids it's time for dinner and they go get in the car. Come on, somebody. If they... <laughs> Like, dinner! Why are you going to the garage? Like, what is... Come on, that's real right there. That's what that is. Those of you not laughing, you know this is real. Number four, your car has more clothes than your closet. Come on, that is... (laughs) You might be a little bit too busy if your car... That's real. But the truth is... That one hurts right at the end right there. Some of you... That one cuts deep. But the truth is our lives are too pulled. Our lives are too frantic. Our lives are being pulled in every direction. We're running too fast. We're way too busy because we have these magnets pulling us and we begin to prioritize nothing. We begin to go after everything and we allow the magnets to dictate what is important. The things that pull on us to dictate what we should prioritize. And the first thing that falls by the wayside typically is our relationship with God. When we allow these things to stretch us and to pull us, the thing that typically falls by the wayside first is our relationship with the Lord. And so we stop praying, we stop reading our Bibles, we stop having spiritual disciplines, we stop connecting with the church, and eventually we begin to look up and see that we're scattered. We lose our relational disciplines, and then we begin to lose our physical disciplines, where we just let everything go, and we just let the magnets dictate our life. And all of a sudden, we've lost our way, and that's when we begin to feel dry. Some of you today, you're feeling scattered, but some of you have come to this place where you're feeling dry. Where you're looking in the mirror every morning and you're thinking, I I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I'm too tired. I I don't have anything left to give. I I just can't talk to another person. I I can't minister to anybody. I I can't. I don't want to go to another soccer game. I I don't want to go to another thing here at the school. I don't want to go to this other. I can't even get in the car anymore. And you're feeling dry in your life. And typically this happens because we become disconnected from the Lord. Disconnected from his vision and his purpose for our life. You know, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my father in heaven. What he's teaching us is there is this power, this energy that's involved when we are connected and following the vision God has for our life. That there's energy and power that comes alongside of it. That's more than any food or water can give us. That that's temporary. We're learning this on our Wednesday night, uh, our Wednesday night mini series that we're doing And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. That water and food is just temporary. But to do the will of the Holy Spirit and to listen to God's plan for your life, there's this energy, this momentum that comes along with it when you're walking in step with the Spirit, the Bible says. That you have this energy comes along with it to fulfill that in your life. But we lose that when we get disconnected. We allow the magnets and the pulls of the world to take us away from our spiritual relationship with the Father. And so we lose that in our lives and we get dry. And sometimes we don't even realize that we've gotten to that place. You know, there's this biblical story about a really strong man in Judges. Most of you know his name, that it's Samson, right? He was the biblical he-man with a she problem. Come on, somebody, you know, he just got into a lot of trouble with women. And so Samson had this one girl that he really thought that he loved, that this was going to be the one. And so he called Delilah. So he's going to go and court and marry Delilah. And so he starts messing around and hanging out with her. And she got paid by his enemies to sell him out. So the Philistines come to Delilah and they offer her money if she can find out how Samson is so strong. And so she starts to work him, right? She starts to ask him and moan and groan and cry and say, you know, just tell me. I I don't think we love each other. If you don't tell me what the secret to your strength is. 
And so finally, Samson gets fed up and he's like, seven bands. If you just bind me with seven bands, then I'll be as weak as any other man. And so wouldn't you know it, the next morning he wakes up bound with seven bands. Come on, warning there. And he wakes up, but he breaks them off of him under the spirit of the Lord. And he goes and defeats the Philistines who had come to capture him to try to pay Delilah. And he wins the victory. And the next day she says, man, I'm just really hurt that you wouldn't tell me the secret of your strength. I'm just really hurt by that, Samson. And so she whines again and cries and pesters him. And finally he just says, all right, all right. If seven ropes are tied around my hands, then I, if you tie seven ropes around my hand, fresh new ropes, then I will wake up. I'll be as weak as any other man. Well, wouldn't you know it? The next morning he wakes up and he's tied up with seven fresh ropes. And he breaks them off of him, right? And goes out and defeats the Philistines because the spirit of the Lord is still on him. Now, why this dude didn't run for his life at this point in the story, I do not know, all right? I don't know why. That's two in a row, all right? Fool me twice. I'm running out of this play, all right? Come on, somebody. He's just, why he doesn't run, but he doesn't. And so she comes to him and she's like, Samson, I just, I don't know. It's just, it's sad to see this guy go out in a blaze of glory, right? It's just, it's sad to see this thing. And so she comes to him and she's like, Samson, I just, I don't think it's just terrible that you wouldn't tell me. And so he's fine. All right, fine, fine. If you put my hair into a loom, So he's getting a little closer to the truth, right? If you just put my hair into a loom, and of course she does. The next morning he wakes up and his hair is in a loom, all right? It's just, I don't don't speak for Samson's IQ level. But his hair is in the loom, and he breaks free, and he defeats the Philistines. And she comes to him a final time. And she's like, Samson, I just, I don't think that you love me. I don't think we have a relationship. To which he should have said, yeah, (laughs) like, duh, right? Like, this is definitely not something built on trust. Like, all we have is physical, right? This is, we don't have a lot going for us. This is not a relationship that we should put anything more into. But he doesn't. He doesn't. In fact, he gives in to the temptation of Delilah. And one small step, you watch this story, one small step at a time, he wanders further and further from God. And so he gives in, he exposes the secret, right? If you shave my head, then I'll be as weak as any man. How that dude did not expect to wake up bald, I do not know. But that's how the story, he wakes up and she has shaved his head. And she says to him, watch this, this is fascinating. She says to him in Judges, she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. Now watch this, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Now, you've heard the whole story of Samson, how he wanders farther and farther and he gets closer and closer to exposing the secret until he does. And she shaves his head and the Philistines come. And it says he woke up and he thought, I'll shake myself free as before. I'll go out like I did before. I'll break the bonds. I'll defeat the enemy. I'll do all these things as before. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And I wonder how many of us are in a place where we have wandered And we have meddled and we have tempted and we have given in one small step at a time. And we have wandered from the Lord. We have wandered from what God has for us. And we think in our minds, well, God doesn't see and God doesn't really care about that. And it doesn't really matter. And now all of a sudden we have a moment where it hits us in the face and we realize I have wandered far from God. I've wandered far from him. The presence of God isn't in my life any longer. I don't have the anointing that I used to have. I can't remember the last time I prayed. I haven't connected to the church in forever. I, I can't remember when this time. And now I've given into this temptation. Or I've given into this secret sin. And I've wandered little by little by little. And now I'm spiritually dry. I'm empty. 
I've got nothing left in there. And I've been caught by this thing that I didn't even know I was free from before. And now I don't even have access to what I used to have access to to get myself out of it. That we've wandered and all of a sudden he wakes up and he realizes, man, I'm just spiritually dry. And look at the consequences of it in verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes and they took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. Here's an old preacher line for you. You can jot it down this way. Here's what sin does. The first thing it does is sin blinds. It takes away our ability to see God's vision for our life. It disconnects us from him. Disconnects us to things and we're not able to see what we're doing and the consequences for our actions. And so we make some very stupid mistakes. First thing that sin does is it blinds. And when it blinds, it begins to bind. That sin begins to bind. All of a sudden, we find ourselves slaves to the addiction. Slaves to these things that have come into our life that we've allowed little by little. And we have no longer control of what our life should be. And we lose that control. We give it up. And once we're captive, it begins to grind. Sin blinds that it binds. And then sin begins to grind. And some of you are in that place where sin is just grinding your life. That it's this monotonous, never-ending existence that you feel like I have no purpose any longer. That I'll never be free from this thing. That it begins to grind. Every day is full of pain. Every day is just a push. Every day you feel further and further away from the Lord. And Samson felt that in this place. Captured by his enemies. That he was called to be a strong man to conquer. That he's captured and chained. And so many of us get in that place in life. We begin to drift from God. The spiritual dryness becomes to come into our lives. Some of you are just scattered. Some of you are just dry. That it's empty. And little by little, we find ourselves further and further and further from him. And when that happens, we get to the final place. And that's of just hopelessness. That we're scattered and we're dry. But then some of you have come to the place where you're hopeless. Where you've lost all hope. Where you're thinking this is not going to work out. That there is no way for this ever to be rectified. There is no way for this ever to be redeemed. It's just, it's hopeless. I've lost all hope. And if we go back to our text, verse 11, the Lord says this about the bones. He says, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. And they are saying, we have become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. That the children of Israel were saying this to themselves, that we are scattered, that we are dry, and that all hope is gone. That we are the bones. And some of you have come to that place in your life where you're crying out, I'm dead in this sin. I'm I'm lost in this thing. It can never be redeemed. That there is no hope for me. I feel dried out. I've had too many failures. I feel like I can never hear God's voice again. I, I feel like I had the anointing, but now it's gone. And so I've lost all hope. And I don't even know if he has a plan for my life anymore. And we learned in our hope series that hopelessness is a symptom of being visionless. That when you become hopeless, it's because you've lost sight of the vision that God has for your life, the purpose he still has for you. And so if you lose sight of that, you become hopeless and you become stuck and you feel like there is no way you can ever get yourself out, that there is no hope for you. It's when you lost vision. And so we have to begin to see again. And the question we need to ask ourselves is the one that the Lord posed. Can these bones live again? If I find myself in this third place of hopelessness, I'm scattered, I'm dry, I'm hopeless. I feel like the dry bones across the valley. Can these bones live again? Can God actually do anything with my life? 
If you find yourself in that place, we're asking ourselves that question. Can God still do something with me? Could I ever actually find freedom? Could he still restore my relationships? Could he still restore me to the body of Christ? Back to our text, Ezekiel chapter 37. The Lord says to them, prophesy and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile. And I'll cause you to rise again and then I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Watch this. When this happens, then you'll know that I am the Lord. And I'll put my spirit in you and you'll live again and return home to your own land. He says, when it happens, then you'll know that I'm the Lord, that I'll open up. And there's two promises that I want to leave you with today. Two promises that I've been praying over your life. All throughout this week that would happen for you today. And honestly, all throughout this Christmas season. That I would continue to pray for you. Number one, jot it down. God wants you to experience resurrection. That if you find your place, yourself in this place of dryness, in this place of death, you find yourself in this place of hopelessness, God wants you to experience. First thing he wants to do, he said, I'm going to open the graves and you'll rise again. This was the prophecy in Ezekiel. O nation of Israel, even though you're dead spiritually, even though you're in captivity, even though you're as hopeless as you feel you can be, I'm going to raise you up again. And that was the promise that he gave. I'm going to come and I'm going to rescue the promise of the Old Testament to the nation of Israel. How many know our promise through Jesus Christ is better? How many know that was the promise in the Old Testament to them? That's their promise. And that's great for them that I'm going to bring you back from that nation of captivity. How many know in the New Testament, our promise is even greater that Jesus has spoken to us. And I want to read this verse out of Revelation. I love this verse. We read it every Easter. It was actually our reading on Tuesday this week out of Revelation. Jesus says, I am he. Who lives? I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Come on, somebody. He says, I am the one who was dead. You know, I love, I love that verse. I love that verse because every other religion's God is dead. Come on, our God was dead. And now he says, I am alive forevermore. Come on, somebody. And just in case you didn't respond, just in case you didn't respond appropriately, he amens himself right there. All right. Amen. Come on. That's good preaching. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. And you need to hear today that because when you are going through a valley or you are going through a struggle and you see death all around, when you see dry bones, if you are looking at your life and you are seeing hopelessness and you are seeing dried up successes and you are seeing everything that you thought you were working for dead and you thought, can they live again? I want you to know Jesus holds the keys of Hades and of death. That any circumstance that you walk through wouldn't have the final say in your life because Jesus has the final say. That even death in this life has no hold on us. That Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I hold the keys of death and of Hades. That anything you walk through, no death is ever final. That I don't care what circumstances come against you. I don't care what thing has happened to you. No death is ever final. That God holds the keys of death and of life and he holds them. No situation, no relationship, no condition that's beyond God's touch. That he holds the keys of life and death. And I'm preaching 100% better than you are responding, but that's just fine. All right, everybody. I'll just, I'll preach up here all alone. I don't care. But we get to these places where the devil tells us that you're all alone and that you're dead, that there's no hope. We get to these places where he tries to whisper in your ears, there's no coming back from this. That you're too far gone, that no one would accept you again, that no one would love you again. And he tries to whisper those things. But listen to me, everybody. It's not over till it's over. That God has the final say. Because the devil's trying to convince you that it's over. That all hope is lost. That the game is over. Which reminds me of LSU football. Come on, somebody. 
I don't know about you, but just in my spiritual mind, it just reminds me. And not even just yesterday, because yesterday was incredible. Not even. But let me take you back 10 years. Come on, somebody. Let's take our memory back 10 years. 2010 in Tiger Stadium, Tennessee comes to visit. Come on, somebody. We're getting spiritual in this church this morning, all right? Tennessee visits. LSU's down by four points. Three seconds on the clock. Jordan Jefferson is still under center. Come on, how far back we got to go? Les Miles still on the sideline. Three seconds left. We're on the one-yard line. Third and goal. Tennessee defenders lined up against us. Jefferson hikes the ball, drops back, but the hike goes past him. And he has to chase it down. The clock ticks down two, one, and he covers the ball as the Tennessee piles on top of him, and the clock hits zero, and LSU is lost. And Tennessee's coaches and players flood onto the field, and it's over. But oh, contraire, come on, somebody. Because there's one little ref in the midst of the whole chaos waving his hands and saying Tennessee had 13 men on the field during the last play. And LSU gets one untimed down. One untimed. I'm not saying God's an LSU fan, but on that day. (laughs) One untimed down, everybody. And Jefferson hikes the ball, pitches it back to Stephen Ridley, who smashes in for the touchdown. Come on, LSU wins the game because it ain't over until it's over. It's not over until it's over. You might think that it's over. What you see might make you believe that it's over. You might turn off the TV like I did. Come on, somebody. You might leave the stadium like people did. You might think it's over, but it's not over. You might think it's too far gone. You might think that there is no hope for you. But Jesus said in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. You say it's too far gone. You say, well, this this death is too far. It's too much. It's too, too far gone for me to ever come back. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that he who believes in me will never die. That he will live. Even though in in the verse here, right? Lazarus has just perished. He's just died. Jesus knows he's going to raise him back from the dead. That he knows that all of us, it's appointed once to die in the physical. But even that death has no hold on us as believers in Jesus. He said, I am the resurrection. That even those who die in this life will be raised again. That it has no hold on us. Death, where is your sting? He said, I have the keys of Hades and of death. There's some grief in the meantime. But then he says, I'm going to raise them back up. That we're going to spend eternity with him. That's the promise of salvation. It's what we hold to. That it's not some mamby-pamby thing that we just kind of follow after and say, well, that's just, that's just something that helps us in dark times. No, that is the hope that we have. As followers of Christ, that is the hope that we have. That Jesus can come and bring resurrection power because resurrection is not just an event. It's an experience. It's not just an event. And this is my prayer for you every week that we step in here on the weekends. That every week that you would experience a resurrection. That we wouldn't just talk about resurrection. We wouldn't just sing about resurrection, but that we would experience resurrection. That we would experience it in our lives. That's what Paul prayed, that all I want is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's what I want in my life. And that resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, now lives inside of you. I want you to experience the same power that raised him from the dead. That that resurrection power is available, that no death is ever final. There's no condition that you're facing. There's no dryness that you're seeing. There's no death that you have in your sights that ever says that it's over because your God has the final word. Some of you need that in the moment that the devil's convinced you that it's over. I'm here to tell you today that it's not. It's not. That God has the final word, that he has a great plan for your life, that he can still rescue you. 
That these bones can still live again. And time and time again, we have seen God resurrect. We have seen God bring things back to life. We have seen him move and we have seen that the power is real and available. You can experience it. And not only does he just want to bring it back to life, but then the second promise is that of restoration. He wants to resurrect and then he wants to restore. He said, look, I'm going to open the graves so that you'll live again. But better than that, I'm going to put my spirit in you. He said, I'm going to breathe the breath of life, the pneuma of God. The Holy Spirit's going to come inside of you. I'm going to bring you back home. In the Old Testament passages, you would have read it this week in our Bible study that he read in Joel. He said in the Old Testament passages, when he would bring them back from captivity, that the land would produce more than it should to make up for the years that they were in captivity. Come on, that the land, when they got back to their land in Israel, that it would produce, the crops would produce more than they should to make up for the years that they were in exile, that God would make up for those years. How many know in Christ, our promise is even better? That's the Old Testament that God would make up for the years. See, God isn't just bringing restoration after we've walked through pain to make up for it. No, the Bible says God is working even in the midst of it. That even in the things that we walk through, that he can bring you out of those. But even in the midst of it, God can bring purpose from the pain. That God can begin to work those things out. That he doesn't cause it, but he can use it for the glory of God. That he doesn't cause the pain that you walk through, but that he can use it to help you fulfill the vision that he has for your life. That's the promise that we have. Not that we would come out of it and that it would somehow be rectified after that. But know that God can even turn what the devil intended for evil and turn it for good. It's the incredible promise that God has for James talks about how we count it joy when we endure trials and hardships because they're producing patience and perseverance in our life that we can be mature and complete that we can be. I'll show it to you in Romans. It's where we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I love this verse because God can flip it. The pain that you're walking through, the trial that you've had to endure, the thing God can flip that. And bring purpose out of it. That it's not this purposeless thing that happened. But God can use it for his glory. That God can change the circumstances. That God can bring his purpose in your life out of that. That even though you walk through it. God can turn what the devil intended to take you out. What the devil intended to be over. God says life can come back into those bones. That God can raise it again. And that he can restore it. That he can put purpose even in the midst of of pain. And that verse goes on to say, making you more and more like Christ. That he brings the purpose in the midst of the pain so that we are turning more and more like our Savior. That we are living out the calling that he has for us. That those who love him are called according to his purpose. That God is still working out his purpose even in the midst of a trial. And that encourages me when I walk through something. When I walk through a trial or when you go through a hardship, you can know that God is working. That God is fulfilling his purpose. That it's not purposeless that God has his purpose to do on this earth and that we are a part of that. I want to close with 1 Peter chapter 5. And it's in verse 8 because I want you to leave with this idea today. The Bible says, be alert and of sober mind. Because your enemy, why? The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a cat. Come on, somebody. It just, I just, I know, I just have to do it, all right? It's just a, a sickness. All the cat cards and the sweaters, they keep sending them to me. I love them, everybody, all right? But I just want you to know, I know the Christmas card, I enjoy them, all right? Send them to me. It might change my mind this Christmas. But I just want you to know, the point is the devil is a cat, all right? Everybody say it with me. Devil, cat. Devil, cat. <laughs> But more importantly, here's the real point, everybody. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to devour your life. I'm going to get some emails this week. All right, everybody. Bible says resist him 
standing firm in the faith. And watch this, because you know, and some of you don't know this. Some of you, you don't know what you should know because the devil's in your ear whispering that you're all alone. The devil's in your ear whispering that you're the only one. And so we get into a place where we're like, I'm the only one who's suffering. I'm the only one who's all alone. I'm the only one who's gone through. And we get into that place. And we think, but Peter's saying, y'all know, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Isn't it fascinating that the devil tries to get us in that isolationist mentality? I'm the only one. Like Elijah in the Old Testament, I'm the only one, Lord. And we get into that place where we think I'm the only one who suffered. Peter's saying, y'all know everybody's suffering, right? Y'all know everybody is meeting resistance. Y'all know everybody, the devil is attacking that's furthering the kingdom of God. Everybody who's pushing forward the gospel, everybody who's out there working out the purpose God has for their life, the devil's attacking all of us. You know, as the family of believers, we are all being attacked. We're all afflicted. And I love this verse in verse 10. He says, but the God of grace... The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. I hate that part, right? Just why does that have to be in there? After you suffered a little while, because this is something different in the life of believers. Where this could mean a little while in our minds, but this could mean our entire life until God calls us to his glory. After you've suffered a little while. But watch what happens after you've suffered. Watch what happens after this affliction that's come against the body of Christ. That he can both resurrect and restore after you have suffered a little while. God himself who called you will himself restore you. And watch this. Watch why you had to go through the trial. Watch why he had to watch what happens after he restores. It's not like he puts you back where you were. But watch this. He'll restore you and you'll be stronger. You'll be strong, firm and steadfast. Like you had never gone, if you had never gone through that thing that he called you through, it wouldn't have developed the patience and the perseverance that James talks about. If you had never gone through those, but that he says he himself will restore you and bring you out strong, firm and steadfast. That you would be able to overcome the enemy. That you would come out propelled to do the thing that God has called you to do. Can these bones live again? God says, I can bring them back. I can resurrect and I can restore You'll come out stronger on the other side than you ever went in. That God is developing inside of you, making you more and more like Christ. Steadfast, firm, able to overcome the enemy. Stronger than if you had never gone through that season to begin with. That's the promise that we have. Not the Old Testament promise that was given to Ezekiel, but the New Testament promise that's made secure in Christ. That promise that he can give purpose in the middle of pain. That God can resurrect those things that are dead and that he can restore. Every head bowed, every eye closed today as we pray. God, we pray in faith today that restoration will take place. We believe, God, that you can make all things new. That even in the midst when we think it's over, we know that you have the final say. God, that you alone have the final say and that no death is ever final. And so, Lord, we thank you for the hope we have in this life, the hope of eternity. We thank you for the comfort that you bring. And we thank you for the plan for our life, God. Lord, that we would follow after you and that we would see dead things brought to life, that we would see, Father, areas of our life resurrected, that we would follow the purpose and the plan that you have for us. And, Lord, that we would take comfort knowing That it's not just us that's under attack, but the body of believers, the church. But we would stand as the body of Christ. 
with Jesus at our head, Father, that we would know that we can stand against any attack of the enemy and that you are taking even what he means for evil and turning it for good. That you are the God who resurrects and the God who restores. Lord, we pray first that you would bring dead things to life. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. Some of you are here and you feel like the first half of that sermon. You're feeling scattered and you let yourself get drawn away until God was just in the rearview mirror and you feel yourself dry. And now you come to a place where you feel hopeless and you feel like God is a million miles away. I want you to know that he has a promise of resurrection and restoration for you. And it all begins with a relationship with Jesus. That none of the other stuff comes until you have a relationship with him. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. The one who believes in me will live. You can have life. And that's my prayer for you, that you would have that. The breath of God in your life, the pneuma of God, that you would have fresh wind in your sails, that you would have life. That's available to you today. So no one else is looking around, but I just want to ask you today, do you want that life? If you do, I just want to pray with you. I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to pick up a religion. I'm not asking, I want you to have a relationship with Jesus. And you can have that right now. And so if that's you, I just want to pray a prayer with you. I can give you the words. You need to say them and mean them in your heart. I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I'm not looking to embarrass you. I want to connect you with the Savior. And so if you say, I want to pray that prayer, I want to resurrect some things in my life. I want Jesus to touch me and make me new. Just pray this prayer and come on church. We're going to pray it with them. Everybody out loud. No one prays alone, but just say, dear Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins, for all my mistakes. I believe that you died on the cross and I believe that you were raised to life. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus name, I pray. Father, I thank you for the miracles that you're getting ready to do in our lives. I thank you for the miracle you've already done in those who have accepted you as their savior, that you can make the dead things come to life again. That you are the resurrection and the life. God, I pray that we can experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, I pray that we can experience restoration in our life. We thank you for this opportunity to leave this place changed. Forever changed by the power that you bring. We thank you again, God, for every opportunity that you give us in this season. Father, that we can speak over our families. That we can speak over our marriages. We can speak over our children, God. We can speak over our workplace, God. We can speak over our friends and our relationships. We can speak over our church, God. That we can pray for you to bring life and to bring restoration. And we thank you again for all you're doing in our hearts. For all you're going to do. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for what God has done today? It's awesome. Be blessed as you go, church. We'll see you next Sunday for our Christmas service.